listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast, where their host is Dr. Janine James, Sister Ikua Ma'at, Sister Osati Ati, Brother Kwasi Kran, and Brother Kojo Robinson. The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network, and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 
Ashe. We'll pour to the creative spirit, the great Ashe out of which we all emerge. Ashe. We pour to that creative spirit by whatever name we know it, whatever name you hold in your heart, in your mind, whatever name your ancestors gave, whatever name you learned as a child, whatever name you believe it to be, whatever name you believe it to be in spirit or in science. Ashe. We pour to the first human beings who came into existence on this planet, the first human beings who raised the first structures, who cooked the first meals, who taught the first children, who had the first children, the first Africans, the first people who stood upright, who walked, who figured out how to stay on this planet, who figured out how to pass that knowledge on to their children and their children's children, the mothers and fathers of civilization. Ashe. Ashe. We pour the next libation to their grandchildren, their children's children, those who raised the great early civilizations of Kemet and Kush and Monomachapa, the great medieval civilizations of Ghana and Mali and Songhai and Kanem-Bornu. We pour to those who great the great civilizations of the Igbo people and the Hausa people and the Kikongo people and the Mambara people, the great Monday civilizations, the great Kikongo, the great civilizations of Southern Africa, the Bantu people, the great civilizations of Southeast Africa, the Dinka, the Shilat, the Noor. We pour to those millions who raised the foundations from which the world would learn what it meant to be human in the world, Ashe. We pour to their children who upon the arrival on the shores of people they had never seen before, found themselves captured and marched overland, found themselves perishing by the millions before they were held on the holding cells and the open air pens on the coast of West, Central, Southern, and East Africa. We pour to the ancestors who did not know as they were stripped of all clothing and sent denuded into boats, packed like animals and strewn their bones across the floor of the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean. We pour to them who in the last moment on Africa grabbed the sand and grabbed the dirt and put it in their mouths and understood that the only thing they might have to preserve their place in that continent was their memory of that place and their ability to pass it on to their children. We pour to them. Ashe. Ashe. We pour to those Africans and their children who finding themselves cast adrift in Santiago, Cuba, who found themselves cast adrift in Puerto Spain, Trinidad, in Puerto Prince, Haiti, who found themselves cast adrift in New Orleans, in Charleston, and Mobile, who found themselves cast adrift in Salvador, Bahia, who found themselves cast adrift in Barbados, and the archipelago that formed the wayward and the, and the windward coast. We found them in these places, learning Portuguese and Spanish and French, whose often first words was, oh my God, oh Madre de Dios, who found themselves praying to survive and pass on to their children the memories. We pour to those ancestors who are represented in the thousands, buried in all the square miles of where we stand, and who sit here, buried before us in 400 caskets, forged of wood from West Africa, with a dinkra symbols. Each one of them, each woman, man, and child, symbolic of millions. The children of those who could not be killed, we pour Ashe. Ashe. We pour to their children who somehow survived the hells of enslavement and fought for emancipation in the Caribbean, the French, British, Dutch Caribbean, who fought for emancipation in South America, who fought for emancipation in Central America, who fought the struggles we refer to as the Civil War in the United States, who came out of that, marched out of enslavement through Reconstruction and found themselves making great migrations, eventually ending up in places like New York. Their children's children, who making a way for themselves, became our great-great-grandparents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our parents. 
those who when the first bones were discovered in this space held their hands and said stop no more we are here to speak for those who can no longer speak with their mouths we pour for those ancestors some of whom came to Howard University in 2004 and followed these caskets all the way back to New York we pray to the great ancestors the ones whose names we know and the ones whose names we don't and at this moment as we pour this libation I would ask anyone who feels comfortable to say the name of someone in your bloodline who is no longer physically here, but who you know made it possible for you to be here. Go ahead, let's hear the names. Hey, Will Carr. Porter Griffin. Hi, Junior. Evelyn Glover. We pour to the names that we hold collectively. Ganga Zumba in Brazil. Toussaint Louverture, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, and Henri Christophe in Haiti. We pour to the great Avengers, Nanny of the Maroons of Jamaica. We pour to the great ancestors, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass. Say the names that you study. Who are the names of the ancestors that you have come to hold in your heart and your mind as you hope that you can do what they did for us, for your children and children's children? Let's say some of those famous names. Malcolm X. John Henry Clark, John Dr. Jackson, Jacob Carruthers. <laughs> and finally, two final libations. We pour to those who make it possible for us to do what we do. We pour to these rangers who stand guardian over this sacred space. We pour to these Africans and these folks who have come from Howard University, the staff, the faculty, the administrators who brought us here today to bear witness. This is not a libation, but an affirmation because their hearts still beat, their tongues still speak, their minds still think, and their minds still wish the best for us. We pour for all of those people who surrounded us on this journey today and made it possible for us to be here. We pour this affirmation of thanks, Ashe. Ashe. And finally, we pour to your children's children's children who will one day stand on this space and speak your name. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child.
Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. Welcome, welcome. This is Dr. Janine James of the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee. And we are very happy to be here with you again today. And we uh, have uh, with us uh, some lovely guests to help us with our program. And our program today is one of celebrating Dr. Lester Carter. Dr. Lester Carter uh, is known to those of us in Milwaukee, but there are probably a lot of Lester Carters in other communities, and we're going to talk about that as well in in more detail but again we are most happy to be here with you today and um, we're looking forward to an exciting uh, conversation we want you to call in and share with us what your memories are of Dr. Lester Carter and you can reach us at 215 215- Four nine zero nine eight three two to share with us your remembrances of Dr. Carter and the others who um, who have been so tremendous to us in our community to make a, just the difference that we need. I'm so happy to have with me as well as my co-host who is joining us, and that is Mama Asarta Akti. And Asarta, are you here with us? Yes, good evening, Dr. Jane, and good evening to the listening audience. So happy that you're here with us today, and and um, we're going to to move along um, with our program, and um, 
with if you can please share with us the purpose of the Sankofa Council. need to help Sister uh, Asarta uh, with that information. The purpose of the Sankofa Council from our bylaws is it, this is an organization to use African principles of unity and cooperation to create a healing environment for our community. Um, Mama Sarta, are you able to provide for us the uh, today's ancestral profile? Thank you, Dr. Rogers, uh, Dr. Rogers, as well as Dr. James. Um, I couldn't get unmuted. Uh, yes, the ancestral profile for us this evening is Dr. Um, Mr. James McClure Smith. James McClure Smith was an American physician, an apothecary, an abolitionist, an author who was born in Manhattan. He was the first African-American to hold a medical degree, and he graduated at the top of his class at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. After he returned to the United States, he became the first African-American to run a pharmacy in the nation. Smith was born in slavery April 18, 1813 in Manhattan and was set free on July 4, 1827 at the age of 14 by the Emancipation Act of New York. That was the final date when New York officially freed its remaining slaves. His mother was an enslaved woman named Lavinia who achieved her freedom later in life in 1855. Smith described her as a self-emancipated woman. She was born into slavery in South Carolina and had been brought to New York as a slave. His father was Samuel Smith, a white merchant, and his mother's master, who had bought her with him to New York from South Carolina. Smith grew up only with his mother. As an adult, James Smith alluded to other white ancestry through his mother's family, saying he had kin in the South and some of whom were slaveholders and others slaves. Smith attended African Free School Number 2 on Mulberry Street in Manhattan, where he was described as an exceptionally bright student. He was among numerous boys from the school who went on to have brilliant careers, some of whom he worked with as adults in the abolitionist cause. Upon graduation, he applied to Columbia University and Geneva Medical College in New York State, but was denied admission due to racial discrimination. Smith was encouraged by his tutor to attend the University of Glasgow in Scotland. He and abolitionist benefactors 
of the African Free School provided Smith with money for his trip overseas and his education. After arriving in Liverpool and walking along the waterfront, he thought, I am free. Through abolitionist connections, he was welcomed there by members of the London Agency Anti-Slavery Society. According to the historian Thomas M. Morgan, Smith enjoyed the relative racial tolerance of Scotland and England, which judicially abolished slavery in the 1770s. He studied at the University of Glasgow and graduated at the top of his class. He obtained a bachelor's degree in 1835, a master's degree in 1836, and a medical degree in 1837. He completed an internship in Paris. After his graduation, he was awarded a prestigious gynecological residency at Glasgow's Lock Hospital for Women. Based on his experience in the hospital, he published two articles in the London Medical Gazette. They are the first scientific articles known to have been published by an African-American in, scientific, in a scientific journal. The articles exposed the unethical use of an experimental drug upon non-consenting female patients. Smith knew he would be di discriminated upon his return. When he tried to book a trip back to the United States after completing his studies, the ship captain refused passage because of Smith's race. When Smith did return to Manhattan in 1837 with his degrees, he was greeted as a hero by his former classmates, teachers, and the black community who applauded his determination to fight for civil rights on, African, on American soil. He said at a gathering, I've striven to obtain education at every sacrifice and every hazard and to apply such education to the good of our common country. He was the first university trained African-American physician in the United States. During his practice of 25 years, he was also the first black to have articles published in American medical journals. But he was never admitted to the American Medical Association or to local ones. He established his practice in Lower Manhattan in general surgery and medicine, treating black and white patients. He started a school in the evenings, teaching children. He established what has been called the first black-owned and operated pharmacy in the United States. His friends and activists gathered in the back room of the pharmacy to discuss issues related to their work in abolitionism. In 1846, Smith was appointed as the only physician of the Colored Orphan Asylum, also known as the Free Negro Orphan Asylum, at 44th Street and 5th Avenue. He worked there for nearly 20 years. Trying to protect the children, Smith regularly gave vaccinations for smallpox. Leading causes of death were infectious diseases, measles, for which there was no vaccine, smallpox, and tuberculosis, for which there were no, was no antibiotic at the time. 
During the mid-1850s, Smith worked with Frederick Douglass to establish the National Council of Colored People, one of the first permanent black national organizations, beginning with a three-day convention in Rochester, New York. At the convention in Rochester, he and Douglass emphasized the importance of the education to their race and urged the founding of more schools for black youth. Smith wanted choices available for both industrial and cash classical education. In the mid-1850s, Smith joined James W.C. Pennington and other black leaders in establishing the Legal Rights Association, LRA, in Manhattan, a pioneering minority rights association the LRA waged a nearly 10-year campaign against segregated public transportation in the city. This organization successfully defeated segregation in New York and served as a model for later rights organizations, including the National Equal Rights League and the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, founded in the early 20th century. In addition, during the 1850s, Smith gained prominence with African-American readers and abolitionist readers of all ethnicities from his regularly published, often weekly columns in Frederick Douglass' paper. Smith's commentaries on African-American culture, local and national politics, literature, and style of dress made him one of the earliest black public intellectuals to gain popularity in the United States. On November 17, 1865, at the age of 52, he died from congestive heart failure. This was 19 days before the ratification of the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution that abolished slavery. James McCoon Smith a phenomenal man with many first African-American achievements in the, in the medical field and dedication to freedom and the abolishment of slavery in America. May he rest in peace. Asha. Thank you so much, uh, Mama Asarta. Uh, that's a bad, he's a bad boy. Bad. <laughs> We're talking about in the we're talking about in the early 1800s yeah. before cell phones and cars and telephones and electric lights um, but this man just was phenomenal even Frederick Douglass had to say he, he, he really respected having known him and being influenced by him and he was really prophetic uh, as he was talking about the the impact that blacks would have in this country over yeah. time as he talked about them in fashion and music and, and athletics uh, he was just, just a phenomenal person and, and that's what we are talking about um, in all of our programs where what what's in our DNA what is in our history 
uh, and what has been achieved despite so many obstacles. But today we are celebrating Dr. Lester Carter and other black pharmacists. Um, he has been a giant of the healthcare profession. He joined the ancestors on January 31st of this year. Dr. Lester Carter has served the Milwaukee community since arriving in 1968. And he, like many black pharmacists, were the only source of medical care for the African Americans well into the 20, 20th century. Uh, and we are now in the, in the 21st century. So when black people were not welcome at hospitals, and, and that was the case as we look at Milwaukee's history, uh, when we, when I look at, um, uh, many of the physicians, some who have joined the ancestors, but some who are still here, who were not permitted to practice in hospitals. And, it, and so they might see patients in their office. And what surprised me is that they had to refer their patients who required hospitalization to a white colleague who admitted them to the hospital, took care of them in the hospital, and then upon their discharge from the hospital, their care resumed with the uh, black physician that they had. So Dr. Uh, Carter came at a very interesting time um, coming in the uh, during what was actively the um, I guess you'd say the civil rights era was still there and and so he recognized that there were few physicians who were willing to treat black patients black pharmacists were our source of professional advice. And Dr. Carter has distinguished himself by studying many natural treatments, including the use of food and supplements as a means to bring about healing. He was a person the youth of the community could visit at his drugstore and have a conversation about the importance of health. Few of their drugstores exist today, and we would like to remember and celebrate those who have been there for us when no one else would help. The Sankofa Council welcomes our guest today, Dr. Sir Grice, who is a doctor of pharmacy, PharmD, and Dr. Alicia Walker, who is also a doctor of pharmacy. And she will be joining us a little later in the program. Um, they have followed in the noble profession 
a pharmacy. They invite you, as we have, to call in to share your experience with Dr. Carter and other black pharmacists who have been the unsung heroes in our communities, offering their expertise in healing when there is no other access to health care. And um, I'd like to uh, to uh, go ahead and and introduce our guest who is here with us today. Uh, and Dr. Sir Grice has been with us a few times before, and it is always a delight to have him here with us. Sir Grice is a graduate from Concordia University. But before he was a graduate of Concordia, he was born in Milwaukee. His parents are Bama, and his father is Charles Grice. And um, they are very proud, as I am very proud, because Dr. Grice is also my godson. So I get some extra treats by having him here. Uh, he has trained at um, Homestead High School. He has attended Florida A&M University, and he has uh, also uh, received his Doctor of Pharmacy uh, as well as a Master's of Business Administration from Concordia University here in Milwaukee. He is. 14 years of pharmacy experience, and he has a passion for improving health outcomes for disenfranchised members of our society. And Dr. Carter has greatly impacted that passion. Currently, he is a board member for the Pharmacy Society of Wisconsin, and he is a board member for Milwaukee Health Services, Inc., which is a federally qualified health center uh, with a long history of serving our community. Dr. Grice, thank you and welcome. Dr. Grice? Have we lost you? I don't think so. You are not muted. Dr. Kajagi is here if you're interested. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. I'm just making sure. I think I just had my wrong earplug in. <laughs> okay, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Grice. I've introduced you. Um, we are delighted to have you representing the current heroes who continue to work in our community. And when Dr. Carter passed, um, all of us, there were so many of us who expressed our sadness um, and recognize that we really had lost something um, very valuable to us. But 
I would certainly like to ask you to share with us what your experience has been either personally or what you've heard um, about Dr. Carter. Um, For me personally, Dr. Carter was uh, more of a inspiration to what we could do within this community and uh, a valuable valuable example of the impact that the profession could have within our community. Um, I was unfortunate to be able to actually intern underneath him. I was just a little too young for the time, but I, I definitely wish I could have that opportunity. But to have someone located centrally uh, for our community where I attend Calvary Baptist Church and live in the Sherman Park neighborhood, so it was down the street. It was it was very, very, very instrumental in helping me to really mold my passion for the profession uh, as I've gotten older and, and wiser in my career path. Um, his impact within the community is unmistakable, and the amount of lives that he's impacted lets you know the power that one individual truly can have, especially if you find what you're passionate at and strive to make sure that those outcomes are meant to be beneficial for those that you're truly serving, not looking for um, personal gratitude, but truly looking to improve uh, your community. And uh, he embodied that in every effort and uh, every move. And, and I learned a lot from being able to see that example, especially when there's so few examples, uh, especially within the profession of healthcare. Um, to to be able to look at, especially in your small community, like the Sherman Park neighborhood or, um, you know, inner city Milwaukee that he resided in for all those years. The um, profession of pharmacy is um, one that I, I hope that we're able to, during the course of today's program um, help to bring greater attention to the importance of pharmacy and the pharmacists. Uh, Growing up for me in Chicago, it was not unusual for me to interact with uh, a number of black pharmacists and those individuals were all looked upon in such high esteem and it was only at a later time that I came to understand uh, a little better about the credentials uh, that pharmacists had then and have now and um during the time that I was growing up, uh, all of the pharmacists were referred to as doctor. And I, I was curious about that. And, um, and it was basically explained to me, uh, although I'm understanding it a little bit differently now, um, that they all had such a 
rigorous training for the work that they did and ultimately um, that uh, training has changed a bit and uh, Dr. Uh, Grice I would appreciate if you can share with our listeners about what has happened um, in the scholarly aspect of uh, pharmacy that has um, made some changes in the credentials? Well, pharmacy has, in the past about 20, 20 plus years, being of, of the 21st century, uh, the curriculum really shifted from being uh, more of an entrepreneurial, um, chemistry-specific creation where there was a little bit more alchemy, a little bit more mortar and pestle, where uh, we would create elixirs, uh, salves, creams, and um, have solutions for um, uh, remedies for day-to-day ailments. Uh, so the initiation in the early years of what pharmacy looked like, it was a bachelor's degree in most cases that could be obtained, and then a large majority of those practiced would usually start their own um, shop, and then their their individual pharmacy was similar to a lot of drugstore pharmacies now, where they provided day to day services and and then had extra abilities to provide day to day remedies for you know small colds and things of that fashion. As the amount of medications increased in our population, which you know have dramatically increased over the past 20 years as technology has improved and with the level of political um, touch points with these medications gaining different levels of categories for schedules so uh, making them more addictive uh, more difficult to obtain having higher levels of side effects greater education was required Um, and we pushed to having a doctoral level degree to compensate for more of the clinical aspects of what medicine does with the body. So the degree process is very similar to uh, an MD process minus um, we do three years of extra didactic schooling uh, where we're specifically focused in on biology, chemistry, biochemistry, organic chemistry, more or less understanding how when a diagnosis is established by a physician, when they come back with their ideas for clinical resolution, do we have the proper knowledge of how the medications that initially are prescribed off that algorithm will interact in the person's body? So with those extra three years of, with those three initial years of didactic work, we work to really build a great knowledge on um, drugs, their classes, we call these pharmacodynamics and kinetic how the drug breaks down within the body, where it is broken down, the time it takes for the drug to be broken down, and then side effects of what can happen when the medication is taken and trying to find out what the ideal dosage form or dosage of that drug is. After our three years of school, um, we then take our fourth year of school, and all of this is post a bachelor's degree, so it can either be a 
eight-year program with a bachelor's earned or a six-year program where you do two years of prerequisite work and then lead into your professional degree. The last year is a, is a rotation year where you spend anywhere between six and eight rotations at either six or eight-week blocks, uh, experience in different healthcare situations and settings, um, focused in on getting a good, robust knowledge on inpatient care, which is specifically in the hospitals, acute-level care, dealing with emergency or um, um, short-term absence, um, outpatient care, retail care, um, urgent cares, and things of that fashion to gain a good enough rapport of the different situations you could be in when having to um, take care of a person's medication needs. Um, as we've gone further in that curriculum, we also have um, levels of certification and residencies that can occur so people can specialize in things similar to physicians. So after you create, create um, complete your four years of schooling, you are you can graduate with a farm D, and then you have to take a state board exam, uh, which is called the NAPLEX. That exam is what gives you the ability to justify your clinical knowledge in the profession. And then you also have to take a uh, law or legal exam which will allow you to be eligible to practice within the specific state that you are licensed in. Um, after that, you can then practice as a resident, depending on if you want to find specific uh, specialties that you want to find. It's like oncology or cancer, pediatrics, so on and so forth, similar to a doctor doing their residency in internal medicine or surgery and so on and so forth. Those can range anywhere between a year and two years. And then there also are some board certifications that can be obtained and now as well um, to uh, further extend on one's knowledge base. Um, so with the transition of care now clinically, um, pharmacists are really focused in on being able to provide the holistic clinical care. And really the aspect and goal for the future is medication management and a holistic care management for a patient. So being able to truly lead patients through chronic issues that can impact their day-to-day -day lives, hopefully developing um, solid medication regimens in those reports, and then helping them ultimately either get to an optimum dose where they get the most benefit or getting them to a healthy place where they can be slowly removed off of some of these medications. Um, but the goal, as always, is to reach the most optimum healthcare outcomes for that patient that we're dealing with at the moment. Thank you, Dr. Grice. We're going to um, we're going to take um, time at this point to um, provide uh, a sponsor announcement before we go into the top of the hour. And Mama Sarta, are you a, uh, wanting to um, to provide that information for us? Yes, um, our sponsor, eDoc Advice. It's a website created to provide a place to get answers to your health or medical concerns. Are you wanting more options than you feel you're getting? Let eDoc Advice help you solve problem solve. Go to their website and ask your question. Their experienced professionals 
will help you to obtain the help that you need that makes sense to you. www.edocadvice.com They uh, do not replace your health professional or provide you care, but they can help you to become a better consumer so that you can get the best information to make a truly informed decision. They network with other professionals throughout the country and bring that information to you. EDOC Advice at www.edocadvice.com. EDOC Advice. Thank you. Thank you, Mama Sarta, for providing that uh, information from our sponsor. And um, we again have with us uh, Dr. Sir Grice, who has uh, uh, his experiences with uh, Dr. Carter. And I've always been struck uh, by uh, what uh, grace, what elegance, um, Dr. Carter certainly represented in our community as I've said that if each of us think about in our own respective communities there have been other black pharmacists um, who really had their own style um, that uh, was certainly impressionable for uh, their their community customers and certainly for uh, the youth. And uh, Dr. Uh, Grice, um, we didn't ask, but um, in terms of what you've known of uh, Dr. Carter, um, he uh, came to the community um, kind of, uh, well, relatively recently, although it's been almost, I guess, 50 years. And um, uh, allow you to share some more thoughts that you might have about uh, Dr. Carter and and the role of black pharmacists. Well, Dr. Carter, for as you were saying, it, he identified what we were lacking within our healthcare for a lot of African Americans in the first place, where there was not a voice or a person that represented or looked like us to give those healthcare practices. And that ultimately was the greatest reflection of care because it is a struggle to be that voice when you are always being ostracized. The struggles and challenges also to pursue the degrees of education that he went for, which we highlighted in the initial um, bioethic, it is hard for any African-American to pursue great levels of education. We're discriminated against constantly. It is never a simple ask to just get into school. Being able to obtain those degrees, that knowledge, getting those that experience, and then being able to relay it to our community is never the most simplistic ask that you could do. So Dr. Carter's perseverance, which for most of us is idea, is something that you just don't comprehend. And to be able to do it in such a lasting fashion is phenomenal. Um, and that's something that all of us have to reflect on and see that anything worth having is worth fighting for. And to be able to be in his landmark spot for as long as he has shows the perseverance and resilience 
and the true passion that he had for his patient population because um, that's really what keeps us driving going forward for most of us the education is what gets us intrigued but what keeps us driving is the passion to really be a reflection for our patients and our people and um hopefully in my young tenure i can still hopefully have that lasting legacy going forward um to address the second part of what pharmacists is right now pharmacy has not really reached its high mark and we really want to pursue greater heights in how we impact our patient population um, we want to be that person that people can pick up the phone and call and get the same ask and results that they get from our doctor um, right now, there is a terrible healthcare provider shortage within our community. There's a less than 3% representation in the physician and pharmacist fields for African Americans. And with that being 12% of our population, there is a desperate, desperate need for more representation. Um, and we need to be pursuing those efforts. And there are those efforts within our city for sure through Cream City Medical Society and a couple of other organizations trying to increase um, those that look like us providing us care. And uh, then secondly to that, pharmacists hold an opportunity because of the new level of education that we've had to pursue to be more of a clinical voice, to assist our physician um, cohort to really be an asset to the healthcare plan, where instead of overburdening a lot of our care providers, we could step in and provide a big, big asset support and some solutions to provide high quality and safety measures for a lot of these patient issues. Um, with the new pandemic that has just been presented, medications show to be very valuable, immunization use and uh, access and providing that is something that's truly important. And pharmacists hold a very huge educational advantage and opportunity to provide those care levels. So those are just things on the face level that we could do to help present more positive outcomes for our patients as the pharmacists for the community. Thank you. And Dr. Dr. Grice, um, um, I'm not sure if there are many people who appreciate the, the role that Dr. Carter played in uh, seeking even greater knowledge about ways of uh, treating without the use of the uh, uh, medications as we think of them uh, that have been prescribed uh, by our doctors. And most of our doctors are not familiar with these uh, types of treatments. People have referred to these as natural treatments and I understand that Dr. Carter um, included this in his uh, repertoire of, of uh, treatments uh, for patients. Can you comment about any of that? And then we're going to be going off. I may have to break into you because we're going off the top of the hour. But share with us a little bit about that um, use of natural treatments. Well, Dr. Carter, I'll keep this quick. Dr. Carter blessed us with a book before he passed which uh, gave a lot of his experiences and opportunities of things that he could use um, for natural products uh, but Dr. Carter was a master in understanding the ideal of the word dose 
he would take things that people might think to be poisonous and make them productive. Um, and he would take things that we would think we need not enough of and make it the right amount. So he was a master in compounding and getting the right amount of anything to make things work perfectly. Um, so that would be my short answer to it is you need to keep moving. Well, thank, thank you. We, um, I've noticed as I've looked at some of the ancestral profiles that there have been a number of black health professionals who have degrees uh, not only in pharmacy but also in medicine. And um, I think that that is quite a uh, fabulous uh, combination uh, I'm sure it's a, a an arduous uh, experience, uh, but as you're saying, uh, there's something to be said for uh, having that type of background so that um, you not only can diagnose, uh, but that you have um, a knowledge about what the best ways are of going about uh, treating patients. And these natural ways, actually, uh, these things that have been compounded have been actually uh, received the most respect, actually, it seems, from many patients. Uh, and I'm sure it's, it's helped to save a lot of money uh, realizing that there are some uh, ways of treating uh, that don't require uh, some of the uh, more expensive uh, medical preparations. But I'm going to uh, let us go into our top of the hour. We're going to come back uh, after that, and we're going to talk more uh, about Dr. Carter. We're going to talk about the black pharmacist in our communities and, uh, and I'm so glad that uh, Dr. Bryce brought up uh, where he'd like to see that we're going um, in the future. So we'll see you back shortly. Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 414 
Sankofa Council of Milwaukee radio broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. Welcome back. This is Dr. Janine James, and you're here with us, the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee, and we are here today celebrating Dr. Lester Carter, who passed on January 31st of this year after a long, wonderful life um, and devoted to treating the black community in Milwaukee, uh, but we celebrate not just Dr. Carter when we recognize that so much of our care has been left to um, other black pharmacists throughout the country. And um, there are those of you who may have had 
um, some direct experience with Dr. Carter, or you may have had some direct experience with other black pharmacists. So we're, we're happy to be discussing um, uh, the celebration, uh, but we're also um, see the importance of us talking about the role that pharmacy and the role that black pharmacists have played. And I've, I've been thinking about this um, a little more uh, of late as much of our uh, statistical work, which is something that pi was pioneered by our ancestral uh, subject, Dr. McCune Smith, and that was the beginning of uh, statistical assessment. And so through the statistical assessments of healthcare, uh, what's being uh, learned is that we are experiencing probably nothing new, some challenges certainly in our health. Uh, but if we cannot know about what the journey has been that has contributed to this, when we realize that people did really not have much in the way of places or people who who did have the training to uh, take care of us. And it was that pharmacist who was there and through their own uh as, as Dr. Grice mentioned, their own entrepreneurship uh, had their own drug stores situated throughout our communities. And um, so when you didn't have a doctor, when you didn't have insurance, but you could go to the pharmacist and ask your questions, present your symptoms, and uh, the pharmacist generally had a good idea about what was going on and could offer some uh, recommendations about what might be done to treat this problem as well as to talk uh, with us about perhaps the urgency of some issues that uh, did demand uh, greater attention then might be available through the advice and experience of the pharmacist. So uh, that too was important uh, for people to know. And uh, for many people, they uh, never even saw um, a medical doctor uh, for many years um, as they were feeling relatively well. And so you've it, it would seem that we, as we look at improving health care, we really need to have more involvement um, available through uh, the black pharmacists who actually have been right there, as people would say, in the trenches, hearing from patients, hearing of some of the challenges that they've had um, that uh, brings them 
to talk with the pharmacists. And I don't know, even as we move forward with uh, the loss of so many uh, independent pharmacies, that uh, you have people who don't know that they uh, can um, reach out to the pharmacist and ask medical questions and get some answers. So we have with us again Dr. Uh, Sir Grice today who is a doctor in pharmacy uh, from Milwaukee and uh, has been in our first uh, half of the program was sharing with us some thoughts uh, but we, we do have uh, I would like to acknowledge we have a, a, a listener and um, that's 708833 do you have a question or a comment for us today 708833 I don't have a question or comment. Alicia could not be here today, so she um, asked her black pharmacist colleague, also known as myself, um, to come in for her okay. to answer any questions or uh, discuss Dr. Carter with you. Um, so I think this is a good time for me to introduce myself. I am um, the Vice President of Queen City Medical Society. I have a doctorate degree in pharmacy from Temple University that I earned in 2011. So I've been in pharmacy for at least 10 years as a pharmacist and four years as a technician. So um, that, those are my accolades. I've other education, but none of it is relevant. Um, but I did want to say that um, when he, um, earlier, when you were discussing the path to becoming a pharmacist, that I think previously we had a five-year bachelor's program that turned into like a PharmD program, which basically meant that if you had a bachelor's degree already, which is the way that I came into pharmacy, I have a uh, bachelor's degree in photography of all things, um, you could basically do um, two years worth of prereqs and then go to school for four years and become a PharmD, even with a bachelor's in the underlying field. So that's how I got into this. Um, but if somebody's fresh out of high school, they can do either uh, two years of prerequisites and then four years of pharmacy education. They will walk out without a bachelor's degree, but they will already have a PharmD. So those are the, um, the current path to this degree right now. Well, that's, that's wonderful information. And um, I, I'm, I'm so happy that you have been able to uh, step in and uh, talk uh, with us. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Cream City Medical Society, and I would like to take a moment to, uh, to say a word regarding uh, that organization. It's uh, somewhat unique uh, currently. Um, it, back when the, cream, the National Medical Association was founded in 1895, um, there were um, few places where you had uh, enough uh, specialists in um, a community that was able to talk, uh, discuss, the uh, issues that are important. And um, Milwaukee uh, has been noted of even in its founding to a medical society that has consisted of health professionals that were not just 
medical doctors. We have had uh, podiatrists, dentists, pharmacists who have been members of our organization. Um, and just uh, our next large community, Chicago, um, they've not had, they may have started in that manner, but did not continue that. And they have independent uh, organizations that uh, recognizes the various specialties. But I have always found this to be a uh, very enriching experience to be able to communicate with the various uh, health professionals as we are able to do with the Cream City Medical Society. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I would like to um, add in, I had an experience with Dr. Carter that I think is worth noting. Um, when I first graduated from Temple University in 2011, it took me about a year to find a job. And I remember one time I was, um, you know, talking to people that I know and explaining them my situation. And they were like, oh, go apply at Home Depot or something like that. I'm like, I didn't get a terminal degree to go to Home Depot, so can you please give me another, some more advice or whatever? And somebody told me, you should just go talk to Dr. Cardi. I, Carter. I don't know if he has any work for you, but, I mean, it, it's, he'll be a great inspiration to you. So I, um, so I went and Googled him, found out where he was located, and I went to go talk to Dr. Carter. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. I just showed up. And... um he sat and talked to me for a decent period of time, even though he had a couple of customers there or whatever. So in between customers, he talked to me. And he told me, he shared with me some advice. He said to me that the hard part is actually over. The hardest part of your entire journey is to get into the pharmacy school and then to graduate from it. And you've already done that. So you can't walk around thinking that you're like in a bad situation because you don't have a job right now. He said, you have something to eat? I said, yeah. He was like, do you live somewhere? I said, of course I do. <laughs> he was like... Well, then it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to you to be unemployed. And I, I had, I was working so hard on finding a job, and I had a job within 30 days from talking to him because he gave me the motivation that I needed and help. He forced me to look back on my journey to get where I was in that moment and realize that this is seriously not the hardest part of my journey at all. You know, it was getting there that was hard. And I, I just really thank him for that. And I, um, I was very sad when I saw that he passed away because he's always been an inspiration to me. Um, he wrote a book. I've never written a book. I would love to. But it's like, well, I look to him and I say, can I do some of the things that you did? And I can do it. And then when I do it, it's going to be easier for me because I'm not fighting the things that you already fought for to put me in a position to be able to do what I, what, what I want to do. So I think it was, um, he, he, even with his, um, his interest in natural products and things of that nature, that's very inspirational to me as well because even though I'm a pharmacist, I don't always think that people should turn to medication. I think that sometimes we should look at our diet, especially when we have a diet-based disease like diabetes. Um, sometimes you can take care of your diabetes with your diet, and sometimes you need some insulin, sometimes you need some extra assistance. But um, I think a lot of times when you go talk to your doctor, they're not going to tell you every single thing that you could be doing on the natural side that will help you get to where you're trying to go as far as your numbers are or as far as being a healthier, healthier individual. Everyone's going to say you should have, you know, have a good diet and exercise. There's so many people who don't know what a good diet consists of. There are people who don't know what a carbohydrate is. You know? And um, as a pharmacist, what I've noticed is that when um, someone comes and talks to me and they ask me a question, that's because they have access to me. I don't know if you've ever called your doctor, but um, if you have, 
you might be on hold for a long time. You may, might get a call back in three days or whatever. But when you come to the pharmacy, I'm, I'm here to talk to you right now. And I'm going to help you with whatever you have. And anything that I don't know, I'm going to go look it up and I'll call you back later. But um, to me, it's very important um, that pharmacists are accessible members of the community. And that's one of the things that I love about being a pharmacist is that I can sit and talk to somebody who tells me that they're doing everything right. And then I can look into their grocery cart and see that they have a bunch of ding-dongs and that's not good for their blood sugar. So, um, yeah, he, he, um, he's a very inspirational person to me. That is such a touching story that you have. He, even gave, he gave me, it was pre-COVID, so he gave me a hug. But, oh, um, yeah. Okay. So, we don't oh, do hugs my anymore. goodness. Mm-hmm. That is such a great story. And um, I was in tears then, talking to him. He was like, no, it's just really not that hard. I wasn't cold. I wasn't hungry, and I had somewhere to live. So, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Well, we we are so happy that you uh, have signed on with us, and that um, you um, were so willing to step in um, uh, for Doctor um, Alicia uh, Walker. Doctor Alicia Thomas. Well, Alicia Walker. And. Um, Dr. Walker is, uh, I saw that she was here for a moment and, and I don't see her right now. But she's still I'm, at work. Oh, yeah, she's, she's still, still at work. There. That's why. Yeah. Yes. Boy, oh boy. And, so she's and, one of the hardest working pharmacists in the pharmacy as far as I'm concerned. I call myself America's Next Top Pharmacist, but Alicia's the hardest working. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm sure she'll probably come come in and out, but again, we appreciate having uh, you here uh, with us. And um, I I would like to ask uh, Dr. Uh, Grice, have uh, what sorts of, uh, I know you worked in the retail er, uh, area for a few years and wondered what kind of stories uh, that you can share with us about um, challenges that patients have had uh, which brings them to seek out your advice was that to me yes oh <laughs> oh we get oh goodness everything if, if you have ever worked at a, a retail pharmacy location you have been asked and presented every single topic you can potentially think of from STDs to drug overdose to high blood sugar issues to rashes and scars and everything. Uh, The biggest thing, obviously, lately has been the pandemic and having to truly educate on all the misinformation that has been presented has been probably the the priority of late. But, yeah, we, we get... We get pretty much any topic you can think of has been presented to the a pharmacist if you can interact with your community in any direct fashion. Well, that that's uh, that's helpful to know. And again, I I would hope that um, more people come to recognize that um, even though you might not have had the experience. Of, of not having anyone to talk to uh, because of the uh, racial issues 
uh, but you had the pharmacists to talk to and to remind people that this is uh, definitely uh, available. And um, so we're, we're glad that people are hearing that and that point that you were making about having to wait uh, several days uh, for someone to get back to you is just really not, uh, in my mind, accessible, uh, acceptable as we uh, realize in the acute setting that uh, people can go downhill within hours if, if their issue is not addressed. And so it is so important um, that there is uh, someone who is able to speak to the concerns that the uh, patients have and that you all are there and you're doing it and I'm so glad to hear you there. I'm just sad that our numbers uh, continue to be low, uh, but you've, you've shown that it's, it is possible. It's a, a grueling uh, learning experience and a lot of sacrifice of personal time, um, but the knowledge um, that is gained is just so, so important. And so I'm, I am, uh, I'm glad. Well, that you know, um, I wanted to add something about the retail setting is a mm -hmm. lot of people like only will go to their pharmacist. And what I like to tell people is when to go to their doctor. Like if you show up and you've got a ringworm on your arm, I'm just going to give you some Lamistone so you to keep it moving. Like it's not worth the doctor's visit, especially if you don't have a whole lot of money. But there are people I had a man walk into the pharmacy. One side of his face was completely swollen because he had acid because he needed to go to the dentist. And he was getting these ridiculous amounts of ibuprofen in order to deal with his, his toothache. And I told him, I said, you have to go to the dentist. You, will lose, you can actually lose your life from a dental infection, you know? So that's not going to work, okay? And he ended up going to the dentist, and that was a success story because he got his tooth taken care of. Or I have another patient who came in. One leg was swollen, but the other one was not. And she said, oh, I think I'm bloated from my period. I said, I don't think that's the case. I touched my hand to her leg and it made an indentation. It was, it was, it was a bad situation. And she ended up going, I, I told her, because she was like, oh, well, I have to go to work. I said, I understand that your situation is that you have to go to work, but I mean, you won't be working if you're not alive. So can you please go to the emergency room? And they ended up diagnosing her with a DVT. Mm. So um, she, she had a clot in her leg that would, could have traveled to her lungs and caused a pulmonary embolism, and she would not be here with us today. So there's a lot of times where, as a pharmacist, I have answers for you. But then there are times where I might have an answer for you, but the answer is go to an actual physician. Go to an MD. Go to the emergency room. Go to the ER. Because even if you don't like the copay over there, if you don't want the medical bill, it's better to have a medical bill and be alive than to have a medical bill that got discharged because you died and you have a family. So, some, so a lot of times it's things of that nature. And then there's things that just cost way too much money. So I spend a lot of time with copay cards and trying to get the cost down so that medication becomes accessible to my patients. Because what, what use is a $300 medication if nobody can afford it? So some doctors get really into like maybe a, a new thing that the drug rep has dropped off or whatever that's not covered by a lot of different insurances. But, you know, at this point in the, um, in the medical game, there are a lot of drugs that are just the ancestors of other drugs. So the pharmaceutical industry will come up with a new way to make a molecule, and then they will now charge you an extra $200 for it, or it could be even more money than that. 
So sometimes we can use an older drug to take care of the situation. And um, that might be more affordable and accessible to a certain individual. So um, that's a level of knowledge that, that I, I like to have in retail because when you're in the hospital, you get something called a formulary. It, with that formulary, those are the drugs that, that you use and there's not much to debate over in that situation. But when you're in a, um, a retail setting, there are, you, every drug that's ever been out there is available to somebody for whatever it is that's wrong with them in that particular situation. So we have to keep in mind what is cheap, what is cost effective, what makes you so uncomfortable that most people quit taking it as soon as they're prescribed it in the first place. So all these things are things that um, I think are um, very relevant when you're in a retail setting. And that and being, being approachable to your customers, because some people just flat out get embarrassed and they don't want to talk to you like, um, like um, the other pharmacist was saying, people and their STDs. Like, you got to let them know. You got, you're going to take your antibiotic. You can't have sex with anybody for seven to ten days because they will. I have patients who will show up every three weeks with the same STD. And I'm like, did you even finish your antibiotics? This is why you have to finish your antibiotics. You know, so it's a lot of the times you just have to be able to talk to people and just, you know, assess where they're at and talk to them on the level that they operate. Well, thank you, Dr. Gonza. That's very much appreciated. And I see that um, Dr. Walker has joined us. And Dr. Alicia Walker received her doctorate degree in pharmacy in 2003 and has been uh, practicing in the retail setting for 18 years. Dr. Walker is, an, is active in her community and has served on many boards and in organizations to help promote health care in the African-American community. She has been a member of the Medicaid Pharmacy Prior Authorization Committee. She has received commendations from the governor of Wisconsin and the leadership of the city of Milwaukee. One of her greatest passions is her relationship with the Cream City Medical Society. This organization, as we talked about earlier, serves to advocate for the community and doctoral level healthcare professionals of primary African descent. Dr. Walker notes that she is fondly as she finally looks back on her time that she served as president of the uh, this organization in nine, uh, 2009. And uh, again, we are so privileged to have had uh, that type of diversity of healthcare professionals within our organization. It has really made for a wonderful uh, experience for us personally who are members of the organization but also to benefit by the knowledge that um, other uh, specialists bring to um, uh, our consideration as we attempt to provide services within our community. So uh, at this time I'd like to welcome Dr. Uh, Alicia Walker, who is here uh, joining Dr. Gonza and also Dr. Grice. Dr. Walker. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Great. I thank you. I thank you for asking me to come on today. And what I did hear from uh, Dr. Grice and Dr. Gonza 
and um, I am shortening uh, Gomes' name. Uh, it's Kichi. I'm not going to say it correctly, so I'm not going to say it at all. <laughs> I'm going to learn Hoku it Gonza, correctly. Hoku, Hoku Gonza Kaijage. No one actually Kaijage. calls me that except for my grandmother. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, still yeah, going to work on it, Gonza. so I learned it. Okay. All right. It's in Kihaya, but, just so uh, you know. From what I did here, what I did here, Gonza covered a lot of what I would say about Dr. Carter and the profession of pharmacy as it exists with respect to African Americans and how we relate to the community in large and our own community. And the thing about Dr. Carter was knowing his patient base and knowing what to say and what not to say was very important. Um, I was listening to a radio program and he was on talking about um, actually someone was talking about how he um, talked to the gentleman about things that had nothing to do with pharmacy and it made them comfortable enough to come and talk to him about other health care issues such as maybe it's a sexually transmitted disease or maybe it's mental health but having that foundation and that relationship with his patient base made it so that people felt comfortable when you go to your pharmacist, you want to make sure you have a relationship with them. Um, there are a lot of um, ways today to save money by using coupons and um, discounts, and it actually promotes people going to different pharmacies, but it's a detriment when you don't have a relationship to your pharmacist. Um, I may know that you just bought something yesterday that will interact with the prescription that you got today. But if you're going from pharmacy to pharmacy, you may not know that, and there's no way to make that connection. So one thing I would like to offer, um, just to let people know, if you are using multiple pharmacies to save money, make the pharmacist take the time to put in all the medications that you take be they over-the-counter or be they prescription items, so that we can adequately determine if there's any possible drug interaction. So that's one thing I really wanted to make sure I said today with respect to uh, pharmacy in general. But um, with respect to Dr. Carter, I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity to uh, meet him. Um, my dad um, is going to be 90 this year. And he moved down to visit, uh, well, stay with my sisters uh, down in Atlanta. But before we left, he made me go visit with him to see uh, Dr. Carter. And I'm so glad that we did. And I just have to note the fact that uh, Dr. Carter wasn't down in the pharmacy area. He was upstairs in his uh, up, upper apartment. And we waited, and we waited to come to find out he was dressing for us, meaning he had his bow tie on, he was looking sharp as usual, he was not coming down looking any old kind of way. So, I mean, that kind of pride um, impacts me and makes me remember how we present ourselves to others is important. So, I just wanted to share that. Well, that that is important, and um, it's good for our young people, particularly, to see um, us in a professional 
way in terms of our, our dress and how we present ourselves. And so um, uh, that is my has been my understanding. I've been, I've stopped in uh, when Doctor uh, Carter uh, still had the pharmacy um, himself, and yes, he is was extremely uh, uh, meticulous. Uh, mm. about his appearance and that certainly in addition to all the knowledge in his head uh, mm-hmm. was just so important but I'm glad we're, we're, we are here talking today about Dr. Carter and about blacks in pharmacy uh, because I don't think that people realize how rigorous the training is how rigorous the training has always been uh, when you think about uh, the learning how to uh, compound the medications and to do things that are safe um, and and being held accountable for that and um, so you you all have have learned some really uh, difficult topics um, and and there's no question that each of your patients have benefited greatly by having you uh, in the community and I'm sure that uh, what Dr. Carter was doing uh, with Dr. Gonza in terms of encouraging her is really uh, what the ancestors he wasn't an ancestor yet but what what we are expected to do with our our legacy and that's what each of you represent and so it is important that you know the history uh, as well as uh, the direction that you'd like to take and to lead um, uh, others who may not quite understand um, why you are recommending what you're recommending and and so I, I would hope that um, that you continue to be involved in every aspect uh, addressing uh, what we've been talking about in terms of health disparities um, your voices are extremely important uh, we hope that uh, being in this form as in other forms will help uh, to empower you, even though sometimes we are um, in positions that we don't feel respected and do not feel uh, valued, uh, but you clearly are valued. Uh, and again, to uh, to remind our listeners of the importance of individuals the pharmacists in our communities and the roles that they uh, have taken in looking out for us, even when nobody else was looking out for us. We are glad uh, that you have taken that step. And hopefully we'll have um, uh, an eye for uh, training and encouraging the training of others coming up uh, behind you. We have uh, within Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Academy of Sciences that has been charged with preparing as a pipeline 
uh, young people for going into the health professions. And so that certainly is a, a resource point. Uh, but there, I'm sure, many, many, many uh, talented uh, young people who are around. And, they, and, and I encourage you to take the time to share with them about what you do and what makes it uh, rewarding for you and why you're doing it. that have, you know, taken this journey is that we, not only do we encourage other people to do it, but we also have to let them know that it's going to be hard because a lot of things are difficult. But when you're in the sciences, even to get a, um, to get into a group project, nobody wants to pick you. It's like being the worst person in, in gym class. Like nobody wants to play tennis with you. Like they're like, well, no, she can't play tennis because she's black. So sometimes that happens in science. Like I, I used to have to wait until the grades came in for the first like maybe quarter semester or however we're doing it so that people could recognize that I actually get good grades too and that's when I would get people who would be part of that group but that happens even when you're just interventioning in society when someone said when you um when I was in pharmacy school for instance I had a, a, a there was a girl who couldn't move to pharmacy school she was white and she used to say oh you only got in there because of affirmative action I was like even if that were the case I still got in and I still succeeded so who cares you know what I mean? But it's like people think that someone gave you something to get where you're at. But no, no, no one gave you anything because you still have to perform when you get there. So one of the things that I try to encourage young people to do is to perform. Like nobody, I, I never walked down the street in my white lab coat and, or in, in a white dress and somebody said, oh, you make an excellent pharmacist. It's a pill to go count. That never happened. I had to develop that interest within myself. You know, this isn't like the and do everything that you have to do to be there. So when Dr. Carter told me that the hard part was over, I realized all of the things that I had gotten to to that point had made me the woman that I am today. And that woman is going to get a job, okay? And she already got her license. So when he said that to me, I just was like, well, I never actually thought of it that way. And that's the type of thing that I encourage my students because when my students come to me and they say to me, oh, this class is so hard, this, that, and the other, can you help me out with this, can you help me out with that? I say, absolutely, I can help you out because when I was your age or when I was in your program, nobody helped me out. I had, um, I'm not from Philadelphia, I just went to school there. So I had pharmacists that I know in my, in my circle, in my life. I had a guy that I used to call who lived in Hawaii at the time. I had another pharmacist that's right here in Milwaukee. His name is Cato George. Not only did he write my letter of recommendation to put me into school in the first place, but he also um, became my pharmacy manager and also got me into real estate. So it's like mentorship does not end with pharmacy. Mentorship is a, um, it's an all-around activity. Because what, what are you going to do when you start making real money? You can't go out and buy clothes. I mean, you can, but it's not going to um, contribute to the wealth of society. It's just going to contribute to making you look really nice every day. You know what I mean? So, so it was. It's so nice when, um, when I run across another black scientist, black pharmacist, black MD, black um, DO, who not only is successful at what they do, but they try to bring other people to their success because there's only so many jobs out there. There's only so many people. I can only do one job at a time. Sometimes I'll do two. So it's not like we're competing against each other. We are a team. 
Like, Alicia's the one who introduced me to Cream City Medical Society. You know how mad I was when I found out how all these other people knew about it, but nobody called me to tell me about it? And now I'm in there, and I'm, like, loving it. I, I love everybody that I meet. I love everything that we do. And I'm like, I can't believe nobody told me about this, you know? So I, I just really encourage anybody who's, who's successful in what they do to, to bring other young black people into it. Because I was a photographer. Like, Kato called me up one day and said, you should be a pharmacist. I told him no, because I wanted to take pictures, you know what I mean? But then here I am, you know, almost 20 years later, doing exactly what my mentor told me to do. And I'm loving it, you know? So um, I, I, I just hope that we all encourage somebody else and help in any way that we can. Well, that that is certainly uh, encouraging words that you have for us and um and and we're glad that you're here as a member of the cream city medical society for many years um i'm most uh pleased that you are there with us and contributing because uh, there's a lot that we have that we can learn from one another and um to benefit ultimately the health of the patients that we have devoted ourselves to serve. So it's uh, a pleasure to to uh, have you in the role that you're playing with the Cream City Medical Society. Dr. Lester Carter uh, was also with us and he was recognized during our 90th anniversary. Um, and, and I'm so happy that we did uh, in, in include him in the program, and I, I think that uh, many people were um, very intrigued about the writings of his uh, his book. And I'm just wondering if any of you uh, have any familiarity with his book and can share with us some things that you might have learned from reading it. Hi, this is Alicia. Um, I must say, I did not take the time to read it. I purchased it, and it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm going to read this one day, I'm going to read this one day, and I am sorry to say I never took the time to do that. I did purchase it, though. Okay, well, then it sounds like that's something that you're going to want to put some time on and uh, and see what new things you might be able to learn and share with us uh, after Absolutely. you've done so. There, is a, a, there was a doctor in Chicago named Dr. Theodore Lawless. And Dr. Lawless was a dermatologist. And, uh, but I also learned that he was a pharmacist. And he had a pharmacy in what is now called Bronzeville. I can see the area now. Um, and there were people who came from literally all over the world to see uh, Dr. Lawless. Dr. Lawless went to Africa and he was able to learn some treatments uh, for a variety of conditions. He did not write a book. In fact, he kept many of the uh, treatments that he learned a secret. Um, and so patients, he didn't write them a prescription 
for them to go someplace and get it filled. You'd have to come and see him and he would prepare the, uh, the salve, the ointment, and would apply it there at his pharmacy. And so he had a diverse group of patients who were coming actually, as uh, we were hearing a little earlier, for treatment of sexually transmitted infections. And uh, this is what he was known for, particularly for the treatment of syphilis. And um, so he has some, uh, some treatments that uh, other people didn't know about. And he was making that available to his patients. Uh, he also became very wealthy. Um, and he's done a lot of philanthropy in the uh, Chicago community. He is now uh, a member of the Ancestors, uh, but there is in existence a, a high-rise apartment building in Bronzeville, Chicago, that is named uh, after Dr. Lawless. So this is just an example of uh, on, uh, the roles that some people have taken in terms of being a medical doctor as well as a doctor of pharmacy and uh, combined it in such a way to really uh, be providing the needed uh, help the, of, his, of their patients. So again, we, we uh, uh, encourage you to think about those people who have been in your community and who have served in such uh, an admirable way and and we're so happy to have the three of you uh, here talking with us today and of course there are others of you uh, within uh, our community who are serving when you made me think about this uh, when you were talking about um, working with the patients to try to find out what's going to be uh, the most economical way of uh, achieving what's needed. And I find that uh, as a patient at Milwaukee Health Services, and I get to see your colleague, Dr. Angela Smith, who um, I just am so uh, impressed. I've always been very impressed with her uh, as well as uh, her efforts to use her knowledge of the uh, finances of health uh, care, particularly the medications, to work with me to uh, do what's going to be uh, make sense in terms of uh, prescribing. And, and so I'm sure um, those who've encountered Dr. Smith uh, are uh, appreciative of that connection as they are for each of you. I haven't heard, no one's really said, where are you each located? Where are you provi providing your services? Dr. Walker, let's let you start. Uh, yes, I'm at the uh, Pick and Save uh, Pharmacy in uh, on Miller Parkway, right down the street from the Milwaukee Brewers. And um, I just want to... Uh, Add that I've worked at uh, Walmart and Walgreens, 
and uh, this company is a part of Kroger, and um, I just wanted to share that, you know, it's good to go to different places and find out how different pharmacies work, and you get so much experience um, that you gather with you and take to the next place and take to the next place. That's great. The last time I talked to you, you were working at Walgreens, so that was probably quite a long time ago. But um, <laughs> yeah. I'm still glad you, you're plugging away at that. Dr. Gonza, where are you working? I'm at the Pick and Save on Good Hope Road in Milwaukee. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I've been for the past decade. And I also will be at Alicia's store tomorrow on Miller Parkway if anybody wants to come see me there. All right, thank you. And and then Dr. Dr. Grice, where are you practicing? Currently, I am at home. <clears throat> I was at uh, Pro Health in Waukesha, um, but due to cultural differences, I decided to transition myself out. So I'm about to preside on my next journey as we move forward. So you're not working with Aurora Advocate anymore? No, no. I left Aurora to get a leadership role in Pro Health, where I managed three of their stores and started to operate a third, fourth one. But leadership changed, and I, I just was not their chosen fit, to say it as politely as possible. <laughs> so now I am at home waiting for my baby boy to be born on March 17th and then I will pursue new opportunities after that. Oh, how exciting. Yeah, good luck. And we will talk soon. That is so exciting. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. We got a new family member who's coming along. Yep, Kingston got a playmate. Oh boy, <laughs> that that is amazing. Well, I am so happy, Dr. Um, um, Mama uh, Asarta. We've been just talking and talking away. Do you have some questions that you want to give to to our uh, panel of guests today? Yes, this is some. Um, good conversation that we're having. Um, I too have had an experience with Dr. Uh, Carter. I was a customer of his and I always found it pleasant and one of the main things in my interaction with him when I would go into the pharmacy is he he had a information. I, I, I looked into um, alternative methods of healing and he had books and uh, even some spiritual books that were available um, and I always liked going and looking through the books and things that he had available and he also would talk about those those um, items and do some explaining with me and help me to understand how to um, you know use some of those some of the information that those that, that was provided and he was always uh, a pleasant person to me and easy to talk to so whenever I was you know doing some alternative medicine or you know getting a prescription 
he was very informative. Um, and he'll truly be missed as, as well. Um, I want to say uh, congratulations to Dr. Grice on his new arrival. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, one of the things that I never really thought about, um, aside from my interaction with Dr. Uh, Carter, is the you know to be able to use my pharmacist for information. That's something that I I never really did outside of you know talking with Dr. Carter, of course. But um, when I go to Walgreens and get my prescription filled to ask questions. Um, and is that something, um, you know, they give you the opportunity when you're getting your prescription field to talk to, to the uh, pharmacist, you know, but I'm thinking they just explaining to me how the medicine should work and things that I should look out for, but never really feeling comfortable and, um, seeking more information from them. And that's something that I think I'll think about and probably do more in the future. Um, one of the questions that I have is, is that something that you feel that the black community is using the pharmacy in the pharmacy, pharmacist in a way that you, that would be more helpful for our health? Um, are, are there, you know, things that you wish we would do or that we could do in the future to better connect with um, the community for our health? Hi, this is Alicia. Um, as far as uh, anything that could be um, done better as far as the community and health care, um, I just think that um, a lot of times pharmacists are running busy because they are constantly shorthanded. We never have enough help. They never give us enough help. So um, a lot of uh, what we do is we do take the time to explain the medication to you, but oftentimes we do it pretty quickly and very succinctly, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it may make you feel as if, you know, you can't ask follow-up questions, but um, I'm here to tell you um, that you can most certainly ask follow-up questions, and you need to make sure that when you leave that counter, you're comfortable with what the plan is for you just like when you leave the doctor's office, make sure you're comfortable with the plan that the doctor has come up with for you and that you understand why do I need to take this medication? What should I be looking for um, after I begin taking it? Should I start to feel better in three days or ten days? You know, that's the kind of stuff that you want to make sure that you pull out of the pharmacist if they don't volunteer that information. And by law, the phone number is always on that prescription bottle. So don't hesitate to just, you know, maybe, you know, everything was said to you. Then you get home and you're settled down and you start thinking and you have a question. Use that phone number and call us. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to thank each of each of you. It's that time for us to close. But um, I'd like to thank uh, each of you, Dr. Grice, Dr. Walker, Dr. Gonza, for being here with us. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. William Rogers, 
and the production staff that helps pull us together and allows us to produce this program. And I thank the Sankofa Council for its support of this program and for sharing their vision for unity following Afrocentric principles and helping us to learn and use those principles in our lives. We look forward to bringing to you more programs that we hope you will enjoy. Visit our sponsor, www.edocadvice.com and the Finley Medical Clinic. Good night, stay safe, the Sankofa family and all of you. Until next time, your host, Mama Sarta Auntie, and Dr. Janine James. Thank you. Thank you. Brighter day.